We are now going to begin Paragimel chapter 3 of Daniel. You will recall that Nebuchadnezzar had a very frightening dream which foretold the ultimate downfall of his empire. And many of the commentaries see the story in Paragimel as Nebuchadnezzar's reaction to that frightening dream. Pasuk Aleph. Nebuchadnezzar Malka, Nebuchadnezzar the king, Avad Tzelem Didahav, he made a statue of gold. Umei Amin Shitin, its height was 60 amot, Patiye Amin Shait, and its width was 6 amot, Akime Bivikat Dura Dibindinat Babel, and he set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babel. Now you'll recall that in his dream only the head was gold. But here, it's totally gold, possibly because he knew that the gold represented him. What was the purpose of this idol? It's unclear. Of this, sorry, of the statue? It's unclear. Is it an idol which people need to bow down to and acknowledge the sovereignty of Nebuchadnezzar's religion? Or is it a statue which represents Nebuchadnezzar himself? I'm not sure. The Abarbanel points out that. The statue that was made of gold from head to toe was to demonstrate that all empires which came after him were descendants of his and the Babylonian Empire, all of it. And therefore he wanted everybody to show their humility in front of this this statue so that they would denote that they really were subservient to his reign forever and ever, and that's why we'll also see music almost like a coronation in this process. The Abarbanel, however, shies away from whether this was a matter of idol worship or not. But in any case, building an enormous gold statue, 60 amot high, any place between 90 and 120 feet high, and 6 amot wide, okay, is an enormous investment. He wants to change the dream. He wants everybody to bow down and acknowledge his kingship. And that's why he's so threatened, we will see, by the people who refuse to bow down. Now, it's interesting to note that these dimensions, 60 high and 6 wide, are listed in the book of Ezra as the dimensions of the second Beit HaMikdash. And maybe this is because he wanted to show, I am replacing the Beit HaMikdash. But let's think for a minute. Something which is 60 amot high and only 6 amot wide will be extremely unstable. It's got to blow around in the wind. And in Midrash Echa, our rabbis teach us that he ended up pouring all the gold and silver that had been put away for the Beit HaMikdash into its base in order to stabilize it. And he can, it continually felled fell again and again. Now, where is Bikat Dura? We don't know exactly. It's a river valley someplace near the city of Babel, and this is the only place that it's mentioned in all of Tanakh. However, the Gemara in Sanhedrin identifies it with the place where Yechezkel raised the dry bones in Perek Lamed Zayin of Yechezkel, and the Zohar teaches that this is the place where Migdal Babel, another threat or perceived threat to the serenity of God, was, took place. So he's established this, he set up this, this um, statue, and what did he do? Pasuk bet, Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to assemble Ma'ashar Tarpunei, Siganei, Betachbata, Adrigazraya, Gizavraya, Ditabraya, he orders to send seven different types of officials 
to come to the dedication of the statue that the king had now established. So it's like the Chanukat Habayit, the first time the statue is going to be exhibited. He orders a different, all the different government officials to come. So what do they do? And at that time, the, therefore, they all gathered. All these different officials, again, Achashtar Penaya, Siganayo, Pechvata, Adri Gazraya, Gidavraya, Ditavraya, Tiftaya, Vechol Shiltanei Medinatei Lechanukat Salma, Dihakem Nebuchadnezzar Malka. They all came to the inauguration of the statue. Vikaimin, and they stood, Lekabel Salma, facing the statue, Dihakem Nebuchadnezzar. So they all gather, and they're standing there, Maybe admiring it, maybe waiting for a for a um, for a command, and they're just standing there. Notice that it repeated again. The Hakim Nebuchadnezzar that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. It's his will that is causing this to happen. The Haroza Kare and a herald cries out, Bechayal um, out loud, Lachon Amrin Amamaya Umaya Lishanaya. It is commanded to you, O people and nations and languages. It is a declaration that goes out that. All of you should hear this, okay? Um, what should you do? Be'idna, at the time, ditishmu'un kal karne, when you hear the sound of the horn, mishrokita, the whistles, okay, katros, the tambourine, sabcha, the the drum, santerin, the cymbal, sumfania, the flute, the cholzine zimra, and all different kinds of music. When you hear all the music go out, what should you do? Tiplun, you should fall down, v'tiskedun, and you should prostrate yourself, l'tselem dahava, to the golden statue, the hakem devuchadnezzar malka, that Nebuchadnezzar has put up. Um, and it's interesting, there are seven types of instruments li- listed, and there are seven types of officials listed, and the idea of bowing down and korimu mishtachabim is repeated seven times as well. And this may be the reason that they had this music was that that would be the signal of everybody, all the nations are standing there, representatives from each nation are standing there. You may not get the signal right away, so you're going to instead wait for the wait for the auditory signal, when you hear the music, then everybody will suddenly bow down together. And this is similar, by the way, to what is described in the Gemara Yuma, where the, where in the worship of Yom Kippur, in the service that they would play, that the they would play music when the Kohen Gadol would say Hashem's name so that everybody knew to bow down and fall on their faces as appropriate, as appropriate at that time. And what will happen to somebody who does not bow down? Pasuk, hey, Pasuk, um, sorry, Pasuk 6, Pasuk Vav, and whoever doesn't fall and prostrate himself, at the, right then, will immediately be thrown into a fiery furnace. Whoever doesn't listen will right away be thrown into this fiery furnace. Now, this furnace may be the reason that the Zohar identifies this as the place of Migdal Bavel. We know that at where they built the Tower of Bavel, Migdal Bavel, they built. They had to make bricks, and therefore there was... Um, 
the, there was there would have been a furnace there for building the bricks, or the king had that already, just to torture people because he really wasn't a nice person. Now the Nura Yoktata I think evokes, as we described of the Miz, the Mizbeach in the altar in the Beit Hamikdash, Esh Tamid Tukad, that there will always be a light, a flame burning, and I think over here that we, we have that echo, again, that Nebuchadnezzar is trying to replace what we should be doing. Pasuk Zayin, what happens? Kol kabel dina, bezmana, kidei shamin, kol amemaya. At that moment, therefore, as soon as the people heard, kol krana, mishrokita, katrot, shabcha, pansantirin, v'chozine zamra, all these different types of instruments, naflin kol amemaya, umaya, ulishanaya, all the people, nations, and languages fall down, sagdin latzelem, and they prostrate themselves to the statue, the hava of gold, the hakem nevuchanetzar malka, that nevuchanetzar, the king, had set up. So as soon as this, when they hear the music, there's a threat of death, they go down and they bow down to this, to this statue. Um, and it's repeated, I think, the fact that every last person bowed down to teach us, to show us the audacity of the three people, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, that are the only ones that will make a stand. So what happens over here? Okay, at that very moment, there is slander against the Jewish people. Kol kabel bezmana, therefore, at that very time, kivu guvrin kazdi'in, some kazdim come forward, they come close, v'achlu, the Achlu Kartsehon, the Yudaya, and they uh, literally they they ate their they ate their flesh, which means that they wanted to they wanted to do something terrible to them. They um, they defamed the Jews. Okay, it could be that these Kazdim had been displaced by Daniel with his successful interpretation of the dream, and now they were jealous, and I think that's why it says Yehudaya, they're setting it up as an ethnic issue. It becomes, it's purely anti-Semitism. What do they do? They, they exclaim and say to the king, oh, you, O king, live forever. They start out by wishing him well, obviously in co- implied contrast to what the Jews are going to think, what the people think of the Jews. Ant Malka, you, O king, some to aim have issued a decree. Okay, that any person who hears these musical instruments, should bow down, should fall down and bow to the golden image. Umandi lo pale, and one who does not fall down, v'yiskeid, and prostrate himself, yitrimei legoatu nuhura yoktata, will be thrown into a fiery furnace. So they remind the king both of his decree and of the punishment, so he can't back down, back out. And then they say, itei guvrin yehudayin, there are these Jewish men, dimanita yaton, that you have, um, that you have appointed, alavidat midinat bavel, on the affairs of the kingdom of Babel, Shadrach, Meshach, Babadnego, Guvraya, Ilach, the Ilech, these people have not, these people, Lo Samu Alach Malkateim, Le Elohacha, Le Elohacha Lo Pachin, Uletzelem Dehava Dihakimet Lo Segdin. These men have not accepted your decree, your God they don't worship, and to the golden statue that you've set up, they don't prostrate themselves. Even though they work for you, they are not accepting what it is. And this is a historical 
fact that throughout history, Jews have always been accused of divided loyalty. Are we Jews or are we Americans? Are we Jews or are we Spaniards? And it starts here in Babel. They've been appointed to work for the king, but they don't accept the king fully. So say the Kazdim. Nebuchadnezzar, obviously, Pasuk Gimel, is furious. And his fury should evoke for us the fury of Ahasuerus as well. And then Nebuchadnezzar, in anger and in fury, in order to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Avadnego. And these men were brought in front of the king. Okay, it does, so it's interesting that he doesn't immediately order them to be killed, but rather he comes, he orders them to come to him and be questioned, even though he's angry. Maybe he's afraid of Daniel. Maybe he really is a good king in that sense that he investigates before he punishes. Pasuk Yedalit, Anei Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar exclaimed the Amar Lahon, and he, and he said to them, is it true Shadrach Meshach Vavadnego? That to my God you do not worship, and you didn't prostrate yourself to my, to, to my uh, golden statue. So he's giving them, is it intentional? Is it true? So what happens? Tedvav, he gives them another chance. From now on, Ke'an, from now on. When you must be prepared, when you hear the sound of all these musical instruments, I want you to fall down and prostrate yourself to the image, the avedet that I have made. The hain lo tiskidun, but if you do not prostrate yourself, at that time, titromum. You will be thrown into a fiery furnace immediately. And who is the God who can save you from my hands? So he's giving them a second chance. Question is why? It could be because they're important. It could be because of Daniel's influence, or it could be that he's embarrassed. It's ironic, however, that he acknowledges that this idol, which this statue, which he wants them to bow down to, he acknowledges is something that he made himself. And then he says, who is there any other God? Is there any other God that can stop, that can control what, I, what it is that I want to do? We're going to continue with Pasuk Yud, sorry, Ted Zayin. Anu Shadrach Meshach Ba'abad Nego. So they respond, and they say to the king, they don't give him a title, they just call him we're not worried, we're not worried about replying to you in this matter. They're very, very confident. And he can also save us from his hands. If you talk to us, we're not afraid of that either. He goes on to Pasukitzel. The Hain, okay, and the Hain Ra, and if not, if God doesn't save us, 
You should know, O king, that we don't worship your God. We will not prostrate ourselves to your to your golden image. So it's interesting that they, they're not relying on a miracle. They're saying Hashem can save us. We don't know if he will, but we're willing to chance, we will not endanger ourselves. Now, if this is not an idol, it's really a question, why are they afraid to bow? And it could be that this is a gzerat hashmad, that they, this is a time where Jews are being persecuted for any type of Jewish identity, and therefore they felt that it was appropriate for them to stay, to make this stand. Well, Nebuchadnezzar's reaction, we can, we can easily understand that, that he's furious. Pasuk Yutent. He's full of fury. And his face changes, meaning his face is totally contorted because he's so angry. About these three men. He exclaimed and he commanded. To heat the furnace seven times more than it normally is. And notice once again, we have those sevens happening throughout the story. And to his strong arms of his guards, the strong men of his guard, he said to bind to bind these three men, to throw them into this furnace. Why does he order them to be tied? First of all, so they can't escape. And second, because you can imagine when a person is being, bor- being burnt, they want to move a little bit, to wiggle, and this would torture them even more. Ba'adain, okay, and then Guvre Ilach, these men, meaning Hananya, Mishael, and Azariah, okay, Kiftu Besarvelehon, Pishtehon, Becharvelaton, Vulubishehon, were bound while they were wearing four different types of clothing. Okay, why mention their clothing? Either to show us that there was no time for them to change, that it was so rushed, or the Rabag points out that somebody. Who's, who's asked to die a Kiddush Hashem should do it with joy and with, with awe and understand that this is an important moment. So they wore their best clothing because this was the moment, this was the, the peak of their misirut nefesh, of their dedication to God. So there they are. They're, um, they're all being tied, up, being tied up. Okay. They're being thrown into the fiery furnace. What happens? So the people that were supposed to throw them in died from the sparks, either because the heat was so high or because they rushed to do it and they didn't do it carefully. In any case, the people that are supposed to be punishing them are uh, themselves dying. What happens to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they fall into the furnace, all tied up, because nobody was there to help them, so they just fell in. 
what happens then? Pasuk Yudalit, sorry, Pasuk Kapdalit. Edyan Nebuchadnezzar Melech Babel. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babel, Tivei, Bekam Bihifalach. Okay, he, he was very bewildered and he stands up in haste. Aneva Amar Lahad Borani. He explains to his ministers, Halo Huvin Shotolari Mane Legonura. Didn't you throw three down men into the fire? Okay. So what do they answer to the king? Oh, true, O king. So he must be looking. He sees them in some way. He sees, he sees, he asks, did we throw in three people? And they say, yes, for sure. Pasuk Aneva Amar, Arba'a. But behold, I see four men. Shariin, okay, unbound. Mahalchin begonura, they're walking around in the fire. The chabaloi tebahon, and there's no wounds on them. Viravei di riviah, gdema lebar elahon, and the appearance of the fourth one is like an angel. They're walking around in the flames. They're not, I, I don't get this. They, they're unbound, they're unharmed, and there's another person there. The Malbim points out that there were three miracles that happened here. They threw three people in, but now they see four. They were tied, but now they're free, and nobody has been hurt. Nobody is damaged. Um, it's interesting, the Abarbanel points out that the Christian interpretation of this verse is that the fourth person was Jesus who came to save them, and his sharp and pithy retort is, Jesus was not a time traveler. This happened way before his time. So what's his reaction to this? Pasuk Chavav, Be'edan Krav Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar approached, Litare Atunura Yachtata, to the opening of this fiery furnace. Aneva Amar, he calls out and says, Shadrach Meshach Vavad Nego, Avodihi De Eloha Ila'a, servants of the most supreme God, Puku, come out, Ve'etu, and come here. So they come out. As it's still burning, he calls them to come out. Notice that they didn't come out on their own. They were afraid. They didn't know what he would be doing to them if they came out. So what happens? All around them are the people, and they see this miracle. And all these different officials are assembled, and they see that these people upon whom the flame had had no effect on their bodies, and neither was the hair of the hair of the head singed, and their cloaks looked the same; they hadn't been altered, and they didn't smell of fire, so they were totally. They were totally unmarked and un emerged unscathed completely. Notice that here again we have a gathering. At the beginning, these people were at the beginning of the parish, these people were gathered to the honor of Nebuchadnezzar. Now they uh, gather to honor God. We move on to Pasuk Kapchet 28. Blessed is the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abadnego. Who sent his angel, and he saved his servants, who rely on him. And they disobeyed the king's order. And they offered their bodies. That they refused to worship or prostrate themselves to any god other than their god. So 
boys and honors Hashem. And he, uh, he praises him as well as the people who gave their lives, who are ready to give their lives. And now he gives a decree. And I will issue a decree. That any nation, people, or language, that will speak amiss, that will speak negatively, about the God of Shadrach, Meshach, Abadnego. Hadamin yetabed will be cut into bits, and his house will be turned into a dug will be turned into a dunghill. Okay, for there is no other God that can do this. that can save them in this way. So he gives them the same threat that he had given previously for the unsuccessful dream interpreters. I guess that was his standard punishment. Be'edan Malka, okay, and then the king, what did he do? Hatzlech, he promoted Lashadrach, Meshach, Vavadnego, Bimidinat Bavel, he promotes them in the Medina, in his province. And then he sends out a letter. But we're only going to do, because of the Christian division of the Prakim, we're only going to hear the first two verses of the letter. I don't think that this is a continuation of the story, but rather a separate event, Nebuchadnezzar's letter, which we'll see shortly. But let's just finish the parak and then come back to discuss the three men jumping into the, or being thrown into the furnace. Nebuchadnezzar malka lechol ha-mamaya u-mayu Okay, from Nebuchadnezzar the king to all peoples, nations, and languages. Didayarin b'chol ara, that live throughout the earth, shamechon yiske, let your peace be mighty, let your peace be great. In other words, he's wishing them abundant peace. And then he continues and he says, It behooves me to relate what God has done, the signs and wonders that God has done, that Hashem has performed for me. How great are his signs, and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting one, and his domain is forever and ever. This is a nice conclusion to our story, but it really doesn't belong here. It really belongs with the rest of Perek Dalit. Now, Hanania, Mishael, and Azariah are not mentioned again in Tanakh. We can question where was Daniel, and the commentaries really work on this. Um, it could be, says the Abarbanel in his rational explanation, that the people who reported on Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah just didn't see Daniel because he wasn't standing with them, so they only reported on these three. It's also possible, says the Gemara, that he was sent on a mission outside of Bavel, so he wasn't present at that time. Another possibility is that he wasn't one of the designated um, representatives. Each nation had to send um, had to send three representatives, and he wasn't. We can compare this story to the story of in the Midrash of Abraham Avinu and Nimrod, and we see a very similar. Um, story, and I think the effect of this story on the Midrash is quite clear on the idea of people being willing to give their lives and to give their, um, to give their, uh, their, their all just for, just for the sake of Kiddush Hashem. So this is the end of, we're going to stop here. 
I would like to point out one thing, though, about Kiddush Hashem. There is a famous story of Rav Shimon Schwab, who was a rabbi in Germany and then led the German Jewish community in New York after World War II. And I'd like to read you a short story about what happened to him. Rav Shimon Schwab's first rabbinical position was in Bavaria, Germany, when he was 25 years old, in 1933. On the week of Parashat Kitisa, he gave a sermon to his congregation trying to explain the sin of the golden calf. He quoted an interpretation for, of Samson Raphael Hirsch that the calf was not really an idol. It was only supposed to be a medium, a go-between between the Jewish people and God. Now, the word in German for medium is mittler, go-between. And he said something to the effect that Jews don't have a need to have a go-between, a mittler. But there was someone present in the congregation who reported to the Gestapo that Rav Schwab had stated, Jews don't need a Hitler. This happened right after Adolf Hitler was proclaimed Chancellor of Germany. The Gestapo called the rabbi on the carpet to explain himself. He was brought in the German commentary of the rabbi in which he had based his ser- sermon and showed the Gestapo officer that he was misquoted. However, they told him that he was not off the hook so easily. Once he was paced, placed on a back blacklist, he would have to be investigated, and he was advised to call back the following week to find out the outcome of the investigation. He kept calling back every week for two months, each time being told, call back next week. Finally, a couple of months later, a person answering the phone yelled at him, you Jew, why do you keep calling me? Don't you know the matter is taken care of already? He understood that the person was trying to tell him that the matter was taken care of, but he couldn't say it politely because others were listening, so he gave him the message in this rude fashion. However, later, Rav Schwab said that for those two months, when he was left in limbo, uncertain if he would be arrested or not by the Gestapo, whenever he went to sleep at night, he slept in his clothes. He didn't put on pajamas. Why? He had heard of an acquaintance who was accused of the Gestapo of subversive actions and was taken out in the middle of the night, executed and hung in his pajamas. Rav Schwab said he was afraid that he too would be arrested in the middle of the night and be hung in his pajamas. He, would afraid, he was afraid that that would be a chilul Hashem, a desecration of God's name, that a rabbi would be hanging publicly in his pajamas. To avoid that desecration of Hashem's name, he slept in his clothes for two months so that even if he would be killed, at least it would not be a desecration of God's name. I really think he was inspired by Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah dressed in their finery as they were thrown into the fiery furnace, ultimately to the surprise of all to survive.